It is um, a fact that there is no greater pain than the pain of broken relationships. It's far more than physical pain. Now, thanks to modern science, with physical pain, you can take a pill or you can take an injection and you overcome the pain, at least for a time. But there is no pill, there is no injection that can erase the pain and the hurt that stems from broken trust the pain or the hurt that stems from betrayal of promises, the pain or the hurt that stems from reneging on agreements, or unexplainable rejection. There's no pill or injection that can immediately take care of that. Now, whether this pain comes as a result of children who are rebelling against their parents and breaking their parents' heart, or through shattered marriages, or through inexplicable falling away of friendship. But the question is, how do we deal with these painful experiences? How do we deal with them? Well, I only know about two ways in which you can deal with those painful experiences. One is to recognize that they are always, always as a result of sin and wrongdoing. Identify that sin and bring it up in the open or the wrongdoing, and then provide an opportunity for repentance and for healing and for reconciliation. But there is another way that a lot of people choose, and it is this. Just allow the pain to continue to corrode your soul, even for life. (laughs) Both ways of dealing with pain of broken relationships are painful. They are. Both of them are. But one prolongs the pain for a long time and even for life. The other is the experiencing of the temporary pain of deliverance. One develops into chronic condition in your spirit and soul. The other is merely going through that short-lived surgery. One becomes an ongoing gaping wound in your life. The other is the temporary discomfort of removing the source of pain. Most often, shattered relationships are and I'm not saying always, but often, that they are a result of small misunderstandings. Sometimes they are, you know, a hasty word that's spoken, and you wish you could take it back, and and you couldn't. Sometimes it's misplaced comment, and sometimes it's a thoughtless action. Or, as we saw in the last message, sometimes it comes as a result of hearing, believing, lies about a person. And we saw that in the last message. Uh, Let me give you an illustration that I have never forgotten in all the years. In 1995, my wife and I had the privilege of visiting Scotland. And my host at St. Andrews, Scotland, is a prominent writer, a wonderful friend. And he took me around this little town, beautiful town. And then he took me to a church that is absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful church. 
And as I looked admiringly of the church, this ancient church building, he said to me, he said, can you believe there are only about 11 or 12 people, senior citizens mostly, who come to this church on a given Sunday? And I couldn't understand. Then he continued to tell me. (laughs) He said, many years ago, the pastor and the organist had a fallout. And this has been going on for years. He said, as a matter of fact, it's been so many years that when I tried to reconcile them with each other, they couldn't remember why they had a fallout. They forgot the reason why they're not talking to each other. And so for all these years, my question was, how do they plan the service? He said, well, he said, the minister comes in when the organist is not there, and he places on the organ the sermon title and the text. And then the organist comes in when the minister is not on his desk, and he places the hymn numbers. <laughs> and so they have not talked to each other in over 12 years. And no wonder the church went from a full house to an empty house. You see, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize that the Bible from cover to cover talks about the unity of the Spirit. I wanted to hear me right, beloved friends. This is very important. Probably this is one of the most important, if not the most important message in this whole series. Because there can be no more devastating result than an unresolved conflict. There can be no more devastating result in a church or in a home or in partnership than a broken-down relationship. There can be no sadder home than the one where discord, where strife dominates and rules supreme. And the Bible gives us only one right way of dealing with conflict. The Bible tells us only about one right way of dealing with problems and broken relationships. There's only one right way of restoring peace and joy in your life that has been stolen as a result of conflict, whether it's a home or in business partnerships or in a church. And that is the biblical godly way of resolving conflict, of healing broken relationship. Listen to me and hear me right on this one. I have seen it long enough to know it is absolutely true. I know the Scriptures it is true, therefore it must be true. If you are trying to avoid dealing with conflict in your life and resolving it the godly way, if you are refusing to face reality, that can only be deepened. The problem can only become more exaggerated. The problem can only become more distorted the further you get away from it. It can only be opening of a wide door for Satan to come into your life and mine and set up a stronghold in order that in allowing him to come in and out and cause you harassment. A very gifted surgeon in our congregation told me several years ago something that I haven't forgotten. He said, many times I get patients who come with physical pain of which I cannot find a single physiological reason for it. And I'm personally convinced that unresolved conflicts, that broken relationships, that shattered friendships can cause all sorts of physical pain. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on Sunday. (laughs) And so today we come to secret number nine 
in the Apostle Paul's 15 Secrets for Positive Living. We have been looking at this incredible epistle of all of his writings. The Apostle Paul's writing of 2 Corinthians is the most personal, is the most intimate, as if to say, I'm going to open my heart wide and let you see everything going on inside. And so we come today to secret number nine for positive living. What gave the Apostle Paul positive living? Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as we go through that book. Because there you're going to see the Apostle Paul telling you what really, really, really broke his heart. He tells you the very reason why Paul, more than anything in the world, is a man with a broken heart. And what broke his heart was far more than being beaten, and he was flogged many times. What broke his heart is far more than the lashes that he received, was far more than the persecution that he experienced in every city that he went to. It was far more than hunger. It was far more than stoning even nearly killed him. What really broke the heart of the Apostle Paul was more severe than all of this, and it was this. Are you ready for it? That his friends believed lies about him, and that devastated him. In believing these lies, they were repeating them without evidence. They were spreading them around without any truth to them. And so many of his friends in Corinth turned on the Apostle Paul. Many of his friends rejected the Apostle Paul. Many of them verbally insulted the Apostle Paul. And even those who did not turn on him, they could not be bothered defending him. And that, my beloved friends, is enough to break the heart of the great apostle, the great man of God. Now, you must understand, this is not just an acquaintance with whom he had a tiff. This is not just some people that he knew somehow or neighbors or somebody that they just don't get along. This is real stuff. I'm not talking about those things and people we can't get along with and we just say, okay, you go your way, I go my way. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a very intimate friendship. This is a very close relationship. And Paul wasn't just being sensitive. He wasn't just being thin-skinned. No, 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 no. Because you have to remember that all of these people owed their salvation to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. These people owed their transformation from being idol worshipers to worshipers of the living God to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. These people owed their transformation from darkness to light to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. They owed their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life and everything else to the Apostle Paul. So they were his spiritual children. They were his spiritual children. And they chose to believe a lie about their spiritual father. Now, I'm sure you can probably relate to that in the realm of, the, of, of relationships in general. Imagine your own son or daughter. Imagine a very close friend for many years. Imagine your spouse. Imagine your partner in business for many years. 
believing a lie about you, and then spreading it all around. I mean, imagine how you feel. And now you understand why the Apostle Paul feels so deeply. He was so deeply wounded, and he was so deeply anguished in his spirit, so he sat down and he wrote them a very hard letter, a confrontational letter. It was this hard letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, he said to them, he said, I am not coming back to your town. Why should I go on experiencing this pain every time I come to visit you? On an emotional level, Paul didn't want to write this letter. Just like all of us don't like to confront. I think all of us, whenever we are facing difficult situation, and a broken relationship, they always have a struggle of two feelings inside of us. I think on an emotional level, we don't want to confront the person. And so on an emotional level, the writing of this confrontational level itself was very painful for Paul to write and was very painful for them to read. It was a painful letter. But on a spiritual level, Paul had to write this letter for it was for their good. It was for their blessing, as we'll see in a minute. And so, in chapter 2, verse 4, here's what he said. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. This wasn't Paul writing to them. He said, I'm going to tell you, you know, you're wrong and I'm right. He was not saying, I have done everything and you've done this and I've done this. and No, 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 no. Many tears. He was weeping as he was writing the letter. He was praying as he was writing the letter. He was hurting as he was writing the letter. And so, Paul sent that letter with his trusted lieutenant and co-worker and friend, Titus. So, Titus takes the letter to the Corinthians. And while he takes that letter to the Corinthians, Paul goes to Macedonia. What is he doing? He is sitting there waiting for the response. Guess how he was feeling as he was waiting for the response. Guess how you would feel as you're waiting for that important letter, all-important letter to come to you. He was anxious. He was anxious. In fact, he says so. Have you ever been there? Have you ever dealt with somebody in a godly way, and you waited anxiously for the results, knowing that what you have said may have hurt them deeply? Paul knew that the Corinthians could have responded in one of the two ways I mentioned to you. They could have become hardened of heart and and, and responded and lived with this chronic pain for the rest of their life. They could have lived with this non-confessional pain, with the non-repentance pain. And they could have said, who does he think he is? We're right and he's wrong. Or they could have come under conviction and apologized to the great apostle. And while he was waiting, he was anxious. He was grief-stricken. And listen to what he said. It's from verse 5 of chapter 7, right in front of you. Verse 5, here's what he said. While he was waiting, he said, This body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed on every turn, conflicts on the outside, and fears within. Question. What was Paul depressed about? Why Paul was afraid? It was this, 
that they would choose not to heal the broken relationship. Choosing not to heal a broken relationship can only prolong the pain. I'm not saying that in every case it has to be absolutely the same as it was. Sometimes it has to come to an end like Paul and Barnabas have experienced, but they resolve the conflict and then they said to each other goodbye. They said, you go your way, I go my way. But at least they resolved the, the problem godly way. Because unresolved conflict will prolong the anguish to everyone and for everyone. Some will say to me, I know this, I know. Some will say to me, Michael, 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 you don't understand my problems. You have never experienced my problems. You've never been where I am. Michael, you just don't understand how bad my marriage is. Michael, you just don't understand how difficult my spouse is. Michael, you just don't understand how impossible my parents are. And you're right. I might not fully understand, but here's the interesting part. I was thinking about this through the week. And I realize that there's nothing that you or I go through that has not been experienced by other people throughout history around the world in different cultures. And, uh, and you have to understand, I'm going to tell you some cultural things that will illustrate to you that whatever conflict you have, whatever problem you have, it's, it's just not new. For example, there is a very ancient Arabic proverb, and the words rhyme in Arabic. It says, marriage starts out with a prince kissing an angel, but it ends with a bald-headed man staring across the table at a fat woman. Now, <laughs> I told you this is very ethnic and it's very cultural, so you could understand this. <laughs> Nothing you're going through that somebody else has not gone through, <laughs> even the ancient days. Listen to Socrates, the great Greek philosopher. Don't agree with him, but hey, let me tell you what he said. He warned his students to marry, he says, a good wife. He said, otherwise, if you marry a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> well, here's what I want to say to Socrates, that he should warn women to marry good men, <laughs> because if they marry a philosopher, they may become miserable. <laughs> Here's what a wise man said. Listen carefully. The essential difficulties of life do not end, but rather begin with marriage. And I say amen to that. But listen, I am not naive enough to know that there are just some people who can get, you can't get along with. I mean, I know that. I know some, there are some people out there who can't even get along with themselves, let alone get along with somebody else. And you know, I was thinking about this, and I thought of an email that was sent to me by a dear friend of mine, and I want to read it to you rather than tell it to you. I'll read it to you word for word. It's really wonderful. It just illustrates what I'm trying to tell you about how some people just don't get along even with themselves. There was a man who was stranded on a desert island for many, many years. One day, while he is strolling along the beach, he spotted a ship in the distance, this had never happened in all the years that he has been stranded on that island. So he was very excited about the chance of being rescued. Immediately, he built a fire on the beach and generated as much smoke as possible. It worked. Soon the ship was headed his way. And when the ship was close enough to the island, a dinghy was dispatched to investigate the situation. The man on the island was overjoyed 
with the chance of being rescued, and he met the saviors as they landed. After some preliminary conversation, the man in charge asked the man on the island, how had he survived for so many years? Well, the man replied by telling them about his exploits for food and how he was able to make a fine house to live in. In fact, he said, look up there. Look, this is my nice house right there on the ridge. And there he pointed them in the direction of his house. But when they looked up, they saw three buildings. So they inquired about the building next to the man's house. So he replied, he said, oh, that's my church where I go to worship on Sundays. So when he was asked about the third building, the man replied, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) (laughs) In a great, (laughs) in a great, I mean, there are some people just not going to get along with themselves. (laughs) Be forewarned against thinking that you are the only one who's got problems. <laughs> Be forewarned against running away from a broken relationship. Chances are you will repeat the same pattern in other relationships. Deal with it. Deal with the relationship you're in. Resolve it one way or the other. Resolve the conflict. Let your pain and sorrow become the back door to joy and happiness. And that is the very secret for positive living. It is to choose that one way of the pain of deliverance rather than a coronic pain that will corrode your soul. And that is the secret for positive living. If you think that moving on without resolving the conflict is going to make you happy, listen to me, it won't. It is only a temporary band-aid. If the other party refuses to deal with the issue, you can't force them. You've done your part, and that's it. But clear things between you and God. See, that's what happened with Joseph. Joseph forgave his brothers, these miserable brothers who did what they did to him. He forgave them long time ago. And he did not say anything. He had all the power in the world. He could have sent out chariots and brought them in. He could have gone there and found them and says, hey, I forgive you guys. No, 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 he didn't. But he took care of it with God. And then when they came to him, he said, I forgive you. The question here, as we're seeing in the life of Paul, how do you do this? How do I do this? By confession, forgiveness, and restoration. And that's exactly what the Corinthians chose to do. As I said, they could have chose the other way, and Paul would have no power over them. He could not have done any more. He would have said, I've done all I can. But thank God they chose the godly way. Look at verses, seven, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10 of uh, chapter 7. That's uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read it to you in a Yusuf paraphrase. Okay? Let me just so you, you understand it. Okay? Paul is saying... Though I caused you sorrow with the letter that I wrote to you, I don't regret writing the letter. Although part of me does regret writing it because it was painful to write and it was painful to read. But now I rejoice, not because I hurt you, but because in hurting you through my confrontational letter, you chose to repent instead of hardening of your heart. You know what it's like? It's like a sensitive surgeon 
after he operates on you, and he says, I'm so sorry I hurt you. I'm so sorry I made such a long incision. I'm so sorry that I caused you pain, but you know, I'm glad I did, because had I not done that, you could have died. That's what Paul is saying here. Often, the only healing that you will receive will be after the pain of confronting sin and restoring broken relationships. Often, the only permanent relief that you can experience will be after the anguish of confrontation. Often, joy that you're missing in your life will be restored after You've gone through the sorrow of confession and repentance, and that is why I'm calling this secret is the let sorrow be the back door to joy and happiness. Had the Corinthians chose to be in broken relationship with Paul, had they continued believing the lies that were said about him, they would have forfeited Not their salvation, because that's not the salvation dependent on it, but they would have forfeited certain blessings that are associated with willingness to confess and repent and turn to the Lord. You say, Michael, how do you know this? I'm going to show it to you in a minute. In fact, that was Paul's concern. His anxiety, his pain, his fear, his depression was coming from the fact. I said, Lord, please don't let them turn me down. Please don't let them. Please, Lord, because I know they're not going to be blessed if they turned it down, if they don't acknowledge it. And here it is in the second half of verse 9. So that you may not suffer loss in anything through us. See, I didn't want the problem, your sin against me and your lack of forgiveness toward me to cause God to stop His blessing. See, true and genuine sorrow always leads to repentance and produces blessings of God. It really will. How many of you noticed the contrast here in this passage between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? There are two types of sorrow. Worldly sorrow, that's mere regret. (laughs) That's when you kind of, oh, gosh, I wish nobody knew about this. Well, um, I'm feeling a little bit remorse about it. Uh, I feel just a little temporary stress here over it. That's worldly sorrow. And Paul said that kind of worldly sorrow has no power of healing. That this kind of worldly sorrow, this kind of regret and remorse has no permanent redeeming value. That it has no saving capabilities whatsoever. Ah, but godly sorrow… Godly sorrow that leads to true repentance will produce joy unspeakable. Let me tell you this. Many of you know that in Jewish weddings, a glass is lifted up and is allowed to fall to the ground and be shattered into pieces. Pointing to the shattered pieces of the glass, the couple is exhorted to guard jealously, that sacred relationship into which they had just entered. Why? Because they believe that once the relationship is broken, it can never be restored. Please listen to what I'm going to tell you. In the New Testament, because of the cross of Calvary, a broken relationship can be restored, stronger and better than ever. But listen, It's in the New Testament. 
that we know that because of the death of Jesus Christ, a fractured relationship can be healed. But only if there is what the Apostle Paul calls godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. Listen to verse 10, 2 Corinthians 7 again. Let me conclude. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But ungodly sorrow, that's just emotional regret, ultimately brings death. There may be someone here today who has a fractured relationship with God. And as long as you refuse to see yourself as a person who needs to turn away from sin and receive the forgiveness that is offered to you by Jesus Christ, you are going to prolong that pain. But today, you can say, Father, forgive me because of Jesus. Come into my life. And God said that when you do that, He will. Not may. At some point, no, no, no. He will at that moment. Others here who have known the Lord Jesus Christ for many years, you have received forgiveness. You know what it is to be forgiven of your sin by your Heavenly Father. And yet, you are in a fractured relationship. You need to say, Lord Jesus, examine my life. Show me my error. Help me to repent and reconcile. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.